0: What's up, y'all? What's going on? It's your boy, Chase H. I am the host of the Act Protect Engage podcast, Ape Academy podcast. Thank you for joining us for season two, numero dos in espanol. Ooh, y'all like this 80s soundtrack? <laughs> I'm going to start using this for the next few episodes, 80s style Miami Advice soundtrack. All right, so we're back for season two. We are back with a vengeance. First things first, I'm gonna make a few excuses, okay? Uh, We've been gone for a little while, take a long hiatus, and the reason for that is I'm in graduate school at Arizona State University, and I have been locked in on my studies. Not to brag, but right now I'm a straight A student. I've been locked in, I've been trying to move to the next level flawlessly right? And the next level is the PhD program. So done my master's. Now it's time for the PhD. All right. And we're going Ivy League. We're going to the top. All right. But we're back. We're back for a good amount of time. And we're going to start cranking out episodes as quickly as we can. Obviously, it takes a little bit of time to do research. Well, responsible scholarly research that backs up everything we say on this podcast. Remember, everything we say on this podcast, all the information that I, that I have in my podcast episodes are all well-researched and all scholarly, okay? No Wikipedia, no guessing, no conjecture, no getting information from Uncle Louie down the street. This is all from the scholars, from the experts that write about this stuff for a living, okay? So, today's episode is gonna be pretty cool. I find it to be fascinating. It's a personal passion of mine. It's actually on my skin. all right. It's actually reflected on my actual skin. And we're going to talk about the cultural history of tattooing in the West. Now, let me differentiate East from West. When I say West, I'm referring to North America and Europe. Okay? North America and Europe. All right, we're going to have more episodes in the future. This is just part one. We're going to have more episodes coming up in the future that's going to deal with tattooing in the east. We're talking Japan, China, Central Asia, that area. But for now, this is going to be a cultural history of tattooing in the west part one. The Polynesian influence. Before I started researching for this episode, I knew very little about Polynesian influence. Tattooing. Actually, to be honest, I knew very little other than like the bare bones basics about tattooing in general, the history of tattooing. Where did it come from? Who who was the first one to tattoo? <laughs> you know, like how did it become so popular? Because we all know that not actually not too long ago, tattooing was like a no, no. Having tattoos was like kind of like a stigma. People felt like it was a marker of like being in a criminal or being in a gang. Things have changed a lot, and I kind of want to go through that um, and kind of talk about how the history um, has evolved. We're going to start in the 17th century, all right? Now, remember, everything we say on this podcast is backed up right by research, so we're not going to be taking anything from random sources, from Uncle Louie, from Wikipedia. Everything's going to be based on fact, all right? So our two sources, we got two main sources for this particular episode. The first source is a monograph, a book, a scholarly book called Bodies of Inscription, A Cultural History of the Modern Tattoo Community, and that's gonna be by Margot DeMello. And actually the second one is a master's, a published master's thesis from the University of Kansas in 2011, by a woman named Rachel Robinson and it's called the Commodification on Polynesian Tattooing: Change, Persistence, and Reinvention of a Cultural Tradition. That's a dope title Actually. <laughs> Man, I wish my research papers had a title like that. Wow, that's pretty cool. All right, so where did this all begin? Well, let's let's talk about it. It really begins in the Pacific. So the recorded history, so on record, meaning someone wrote it down, someone drew it, someone actually observed it, right? The recorded history of North American tattooing begins in the islands of the Pacific during the 17th and the 18th century. All right, so what's the 17th and 18th century? We're talking the 1600s and the 1700s, okay? During this period, tattooing was first observed by European explorer, British explorer, Captain James Cook among the people of Tahiti. Alright, now, I, <laughs> the only time I'd heard Tahiti before this was like, you know, vacation spots and, and um, I think it was in a song or something. I can't remember the song. but um, So that's really where it first started was an explorer searching the Pacific kind of stumbled upon these native people on the island of Tahiti and they observed these strange markings over their body. Right. Tattooing had in fact exist, existed in Europe prior to the discovery of the Pacific Islands. Okay? But over time, you know how memories of things over time gradually begin to fade, right? This is what happened with tattooing. So, it actually had a history in Europe before the 17th century. Well, actually in the beginning of the 17th century, but it was for different reasons, right? Christian pilgrims had beginning Tattoos as symbolic representations of their faith during pilgrimage to the Holy Land as far back as 1600. Okay? So pilgrims, they're, they're going in search of, of whatever journey, you know, a spiritual journey, in search of treasure, in search of purpose, whatever their individual purpose or motivation for going to the Holy Land. And when we say Holy Land, we mean Israel, Jerusalem, some of the uh, most contested areas in the world right now were still contested well back into the 1600s and, and before, okay? And even before the 1600s, the Celts and other quote-unquote barbarian tribes had practiced tattooing prior to Roman conquest, okay? So back in ancient Rome, as the, Romes ex- as the Romans expanded their empire into unknown territories, they came into contact with indigenous tribes of those areas. And they observed also that some of the warriors were covered in these markings, these strange markings, and the Romans didn't understand that at the time. But uh, it, comes to, uh, it comes to find out that they were practicing early tattooing, okay? Through Royal Naval expeditions to the uh, Poly- uh, Pelagian Islands, Polynesian Islands in the mid 17th century that marks the beginning of tattooing in the US so in the Polynesian Islands I couldn't say that word in the Polynesian Islands uh, it really kind of had a big influence on tattooing in in the US but it started there Polynesian tattooing can be traced back through archaeological evidence to the second millennium BC Captain Cook he was the first one to give an account A Polynesian tattooing in 1769 when he discovered Tahiti and in 1778 when he first encountered Hawaiians. Now, we think of Hawaiians now as, you know, the fun-loving surfers, island folks, you know, carefree, you know. (laughs) But back then, you know, Hawaii was a very mysterious island. There had been no contact from outsiders. So when Europeans first came to the island of Hawaii, they ran into the, the fierce, proud warrior tribes of the Hawaiian Islands. And they were the first ones that the Europeans saw that had tattoos. However, before before we move on, we really want to talk about the fact that Polynesia is actually a huge area. It's a vast geographical area in the Pacific uh, Ocean. It's a region of water that is larger actually than the whole continent of Europe. And it consists of hundreds of islands. So while it's never good to, you know, overgeneralize and, and make these huge kind of broad statements about large groups of people, because the islands were not culturally uniform, but due to the really, really kind of widespread migration patterns of uh, the uh, Polynesian population, so they would go back and forth, right? They're seafaring people, so they would they would trade cultures and language and, and rituals between the islands as they move back and forth, right? You'll see in a lot of maritime societies, meaning societies that are based around water, they move back and forth a lot, and there's a lot of cross-cultural exchange. So in this case, although the islands were not the same, we can kind of point out these kind of broad characteristics that they all share, Oh, Similarities. Captain Cook and his crew wrote about their observations. And Cook was the first Westerner to use the Tahitian term, tattoo, T-A-T-U, when describing the practice. Prior to his descriptions, tattoos were simply known as pricks. (laughs) It's not like you think, it's not a curse word. (laughs) We're not trying to get in trouble, okay? I have a clean rating on Apple. So please, please don't get me in trouble. Um, or marks in the West, so they were known as pricks or marks in the West before the Tahitian term tattoo, tu became popular. Polynesian society was highly stratified. What does that mean? That means there's levels in their society, classes, right? Separations between people based on many different things. And obviously, as in many indigenous societies, chiefs were at the apex of the society of these societies, right? So the chief. The nobles, the aristocrats are at the top of the pyramid, all right? The top of the pyramid. Social stratification was evident through intricate, quote, systems of, endor- of adornment that distinguish different classes. So what do we mean by systems of adornment? Tattoos is one of them. Dress, how they carry themselves, right? Since we're talking about tattoos, obviously, when we mean systems, systems of adornment, we're talking about tattoos, but there's also other things that separated the different classes, all right? Tattooing was an important mechanism, and it allowed Tahitians to distinguish who was sexually available, as far as women, who, was, who were old enough to go to war, as far as men, and who held chief or elevated status within the community, and that's for men and women. So let me say that again. Tattooing was a way for the people of Tahiti to distinguish who was important and who wasn't, who could go to war and who, and who couldn't, who was married and who was available, okay? So it was like, um, it was basically kind of like a, a sign on your chest that said, hey, this is who I am, right? Kind of like now, you know, when you get tattoos, at least I always say, you really want them to mean something? <laughs> now, although we don't have tattoos that says broke or like a struggling actor on us, you know, in, in their society, it was a di- direct reflection of who you are. So you could look at someone and be like, okay, I see, okay, he's a, he's a chief, he owns this many houses, he has two wives. You could see all that from reading their tattoos. All right? Traditional methods used black ink, and it was prepared from a combination of candle nut smoke and water. The equipment was made of bone or shell, and it was carved into teeth. And the number of the teeth dependent on the intricacy of the design and several designs function specifically as rites of passage so I would hate to feel those type of designs because I'm sure they're very intricate and uh, very deep and very painful if they're known as a rite of passage that means hey if you get this tattoo that means you've accomplished something in our society uh, usually rites of passages represent uh, kind of a transition for at least for men from maybe boyhood to manhood Right, or maybe from an apprentice to a master, or maybe from a young warrior to a veteran or older warrior. So these are rites of passage. Okay, tattoos can represent that as well. Tattoo artists and priests were the only individuals in Tahiti that were allowed to practice tattooing, they would travel and trade their craft in exchange for hogs. For animals, for food, cloth, and fruit. So in this way, an economic system was kind of built around tattooing, right? So a system of exchange, okay? If you want this tattoo, okay, I'll tell you what, no problem. I'll trade my skills, my, my very, very uh special set of skills, as Liam Nielsen says, special set of skills, uh, and you can trade me something for it, all right? So in that way, you kind of had to be rich to get tattoos, right? You kind of had to have a little bit of money, a little bit of capital to get tattoos. And that's why they marked social status. They could, You could tell a lot from someone's tattoos. Tattoo artists, they also perform supercision rituals that invoked the deity Tohu. And that would invoke the, their god and bring them into their ritual. So supercision is circumcision pretty much. Oh, and tattoo artists and priests were the only ones who could perform this ritual. So the ritual incision of the foreskin was practiced as an initiation ceremony. Okay, so through this deity, Tohu, okay, they were able to perform these rituals that could, once again, mark as an initiation, a a rite of passage. So that means that, what does that mean? Well, that means that tattooing had a religious as well as a social dimension to it because the rituals were performed in public and they marked important events in a male or female's life. So it wasn't just a mark of social status. It was also kind of a, uh, a religious, a religious event, a religious, a religiously significant procedure. And what did that make it? That made it a very specialized craft and it took a lifetime to learn this. This is not something you can learn in 15 minutes or five steps to becoming a master tattoo artist. This is something the, uh, the tattoo artists in Tahiti really, really studied. They had apprentices. There's a master and apprentices, uh, apprentice system set up so that they made sure that their skills and their techniques were passed down, the lineage. You could trace their lineage. As far back as 1784, Captain Cook's crew began to receive tattoos. They, were, they began to get tattoos from the natives. And this played a major role in bringing tattoos to Europe. So it kind of played a role in reminding Europeans, hey, 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 look, tattooing used to be around in Europe back in the early 1600s, but y'all forgot about it. So Captain Cook and his crew brought their tattoos and were showing them off to their buddies back in Europe. The designs first encountered by Captain Cook included lines, stars and other geometric designs, as well as figures of animals and humans and were displayed on both men and women by the 19th century. So that's the 1800s. Later voyages noted that the designs included rifles and cannons, along with dates and words that that commemorated the birth and death of some of the most revered chiefs. So this is where we're talking about cross fertilization, right? cross-cultural exchange. So, the Europeans go, they, they discover the Polynesian, well, discover, in quotes, right? They they they, they encounter the Polynesian Islands, they have these interactions with natives, the natives uh, give them tattoos, right? They say, oh, yeah. You know, they, they exchange culture, they say, okay, let's tattoo you, right? Meanwhile, we're gonna also get ideas from you. So, you can see the influence from both cultures, right? The cannon and the rifle were a direct (laughs) influence from Europe. And then, obviously, the the Polynesian designs with the beautiful geometry and shapes and flowing kind of, um, flowing designs were Polynesian. Historians theorize that the introduction to Western weapons, the introduction of Western weapons, excuse me, to Hawaii, changed the meaning behind their tattoos as protection. And then tattoos slowly began to shift to become decorative objects. So in the beginning, before Europeans came, um, native Hawaiians, we, we switched from Tahiti to Hawaii, because all these islands are, are they're not, they're all in the same general region, although it's a huge region. When Europeans bought their weapons to Hawaii, The Polynesians kind of saw okay I can become very powerful with these weapons maybe I don't need tattoos to protect me I have these weapons to protect me now so you you began to see a a shift in the meaning behind them and the reason why people got them British sailors and explorers were eager and they were willing to be tattooed by by Polynesian artists and Hawaiians and the Tahitans augmented their own tattoos with British designs. That's what we were just talking about. This is called cross-fertilization. And it really, it allowed tattoos to become re-established in Europe. And it also kind of prevented tattoos from remaining just a primitive oddity in the eyes of Europeans. So, if Europeans only talk about other people, Outside of Europe to have tattoos, but they never get them. Then obviously Europeans are going to look at it like, well, these are just the marks of the primitive. You know, Europeans don't get tattoos, but the fact that some of Cook's men got the tattoos and brought them back to Europe means that hey, look, you know, hey, this is this is not a thing that just happens to primitive, quote unquote, primitive right societies. This is something that we also have done. We just kind of forgot about it. Captain Cook's first uh, visit to New Zealand was in 1769 and on that trip the ship's artist drew pictures of the island's native tattoos the Ta Moko the Moko is a facial tattoo worn by Mallory men and women as a sign of status as well as affiliation so the Mallory were warriors, some of the fiercest warriors in the world to this day. And their, their tattoo, their face tattoo, was a real important symbol, cultural symbol. It was called the MOKO, M-O-K-O. And also, if you look at, uh, I'll give you a link to my Instagram in the uh, description of this podcast. I have some pictures on my Instagram that will show you what it looks like. They had a tradition, the Mallory, of preserving the tattooed heads of deceased members of the aristocrat, of the aristocracy and the nobles. And they did this to try to keep alive the memory of the dead. The head in their culture was considered sacred because it was believed to possess magic or tapu. T-A-P-U. I'm sorry to anyone who's Polynesian. I'm probably slaughtering some of these names. I apologize. In 1770, Europeans became interested in these heads, right? And they initiated a heads for weapons trade that lasted until 1831 when it was banned by colonial authorities. Doesn't that sound strange? Like, the fact that Europeans were so kind of enamored with this tradition that they were like, look, hey, we'll, we'll give you weapons. We'll, we'll pay you. We really like these heads. Like, there was actually a trade in them. They became commodities. And as we all know, with the history of European colonial, uh, colonialism, once they found something that was worth a lot of money, guess what happens? Systems of domination are put in place. We see missionaries starting to come in to try to control and suppress the population. Obviously, this is a little bit later down the line, but we see this with the beginning of this trade. The trade took a dark turn beginning during the tribal wars of the 1820s when the European demand for these heads were at an all-time high. There were even instances where war captors were tattooed, killed, and decapitated with their heads then being sold to european traders for a profit as the traffic in heads grew the maori stopped preserving the heads of family and friends to prevent them from falling into the wrong hands so it became so bad that the people of new zealand were like you know what we're not we're not even going to do it you know like we're going to protect our family members cuz we're not going to just have them stolen by europeans According to Demello, it became very dangerous to wear a moko, as one could be killed and decapitated at any time for profit. And long after European contact, the moko became a way for natives of New Zealand to distinguish themselves from Europeans who had settled there. So once, so long after the trade was abolished, then you see the kind of the reemergence of the tattoo as a way to separate the indigenous tribes from the people who colonized them. Like Hawaiian and Tahitian tattooing, Maori tattooing was also influenced by European contact. So nothing quite survives intact when you have this cross-cultural exchange. right? So you have an original system, an original uh, tradition. And when you come in contact with foreign cultures, with foreign nations there's always an exchange of ideas, right? Of cultures, ideas, tradition, and you kind of get a kind of blended or hybrid version once this process kind of reaches fulfillment, all right? And this is what we see in this case. Originally, the Mallory applied their wood carving techniques to tattooing by literally carving their skin, right? They would literally sharpen, like we talked about, you know, shell or bone, and actually carve indentations in the skin, and then they would rub ink into the open wounds. After European contact, sailors brought metal to the island. So this introduced the puncture method that were found in other parts of Polynesia. Explorers also played a large role in the initiation of the trade in preserved heads. So remember what we were talking about about the heads? The explorers really started the trade. The first head was owned by a European, was bought by a European named Joseph Banks in 1770, and he served on Captain Cook's first expedition. But as with many things, the most lasting consequence of the contact between European explorers and Polynesians were not stylistic, right? They weren't just surface level. While it did lead to the reintroduction of tattooing to the West, it also resulted in the destruction of Polynesian tattooing through the introduction of missionaries to the island. And as we all know, the goal of Christian missionaries was to purge native people of their quote, heathen or barbaric practices. And this was to forge a civilizing, right? I'm going to use air quotes, a civilizing path for indigenous cultures. Missionaries prohibited tattooing, polygamy and other habits considered uncivilized. And, these missionaries were, of course, backed by the power of their colonial government. So it wasn't just a bunch like today. We think about missionaries and, you know, uh, Christian, really en- enthusiastic, really kind of good hearted people who go out there and they try to spread the good words, try to spread the gospel to people, right? It wasn't, it was the same idea back then, but it was a little bit more. Uh, uh, nationalistic back then, right? Colonial authorities knew what they were doing. So they knew that they could control people, entire societies, through different methods other than military force, right? If they didn't have to expend blood and treasure, they would try not to. So what did they do? They slipped missionaries in and they tried to subdue the natives through religion. And in their minds they're teaching hey this is not of God tattooing isn't of God this represents your old heathen pagan culture. Jesus would not support this. Christians don't do this. this is not how civilized people act. so you start to see tattooing disappear right? Because it was literally outlawed like it was against the law you can get jailed or executed or you know jailed, fined or worse executed if you were found out to be tattooing. Mm. yeah no good not only did 18th century sailors return to England with Polynesian tattoos but they also returned with Polynesia to exhibit, Polynesians themselves to exhibit this initiated an entirely new form of cultural exchange tattoos and other forms of body modification had always been seen as hallmarks of primitive cultures and the display of actual real life tattooed natives in pubs, dime museums, they call them dime museums like real, you know, kind of public museums for anyone can, to go to, and world fairs solidified these ignorant assumptions about the primitive other. And when i say other, i'm capitalizing the o, right? because other is something hey, that's not us. That's someone else. We don't do that here. Okay? So that's what you say by when you say other, what what, what we mean by we say other, it's something outside of what we're what we're uh, accustomed to. In this context, in the context of World Affairs, Native exhibits were negatively compared to the achievements of Western society. To quote, both accentuate the primitiveness of the Natives and to emphasize the civilization of the Western world. So really what they did by bringing tattooed Natives back with them to Europe was say, hey look, that's them, look at that. That's them, this is us, look at the difference between the civilized and the uncivilized. Although a lot of these Europeans were tattooed themselves, they still used the example, used natives as an example of what primitive cultures look like, which is, as we all know, wrong and disgusting. These displays reflected and strengthened colonial ideology and were also essential in constructing a narrative living tattooed people as savages a narrative that was later shattered when tattooed whites began to display themselves (laughs) in freak or sideshows. So it was all good until, oh, the natives, man, we don't get really tattooed. Oh, yeah, those sailors got some tattoos, but that's only because they went native, quote-unquote wet native. And, you know, they're explorers. You know, that's what they do. But, you know, no normal people get tattooed. And then you start to see kind of... uh, white people getting tattooed and and putting themselves on display like oh kind of doing it whatever whatever the reasons whether it be money exposure fame whatever there's a lot of reasons why people would do something like that but this kind of shattered that kind of kind of flimsy myth anyway um and it kind of led into a whole different uh discussion which we're going to discuss in part two i didn't want to make this first podcast too long it's 31 minutes about 32 minutes what I've noticed is it's hard for me to get through a real long like podcast in one sitting. I figure, you know, 30 minutes is a pretty good amount. This part one, it's the first podcast back in a long time. Figured I'd see how it went. Thank you so much for joining us once again on the Act Protect Engage Academy podcast known as Ape Academy. We are available on all platforms. Okay? And we will be we're coming. We we want to be in the top 50. We want to be one of the top history podcasts available. We want to go mainstream as someone commented. Someone commented the other day, this podcast should go mainstream. Oh, and on that note, please like, comment, subscribe. If you like what you hear, give me some suggestions. Be honest in your rating. Every single rating or review helps me out a lot. I'm trying to get back on the, uh, on the horse here. We had an Instagram account that had 30,000 followers that was unfortunately deleted by IG. They don't like Second Amendment people, but I'm not going to rant right now. But we're trying to get back. So it did a lot of damage, but we're on the right path. Thank you so much for joining us once again. God bless you. If you ever have any questions or concerns, you can uh, contact me via our Instagram at Ape Academy Podcast. It's on IG. It's not hard to find. Once again, Thank you so much. Have a great evening. Ape. We got the 80s soundtrack. out y'all. Peace.